Oh, my. Let us begin our new Parsha. We are going to be, well, we left Egypt already last week, but we're continuing on our way. We're going to be go crossing through the Sea of Reeds, often referred to as the Red Sea. According to Rashi, we'll see it's the Sea of Reeds. So this is a very exciting Parsha. The exodus from Egypt is not over until you cross the sea. It's only a partial victory until you cross the sea. And this is this this is the story of the crossing of the sea. So without further ado, let's jump in, no pun intended. And it was when Paro sent out the nation. He really did send them out. He's like, get out now, please. I don't even think he said please. God did not lead the Jewish people by, by way of the land of the Philistines, which would have been the closest way to go, shortest route to where they needed to get to. Because God said, maybe... If we take him that route, they're gonna when they when it comes to to when they see a war, when they encounter a war, such as they would encounter war with the Amalekites um, later on. So whenever they would if they would encounter some difficulty, some adversity, they would say, "That's it, we're going back to Egypt because it would be really easy to get back." And as Rashi points out, even the way that God took them, which is a circuitous route, which would make it more difficult for them to just back up and go to go back to Egypt. Even then they said, let's go back to Egypt. So how much more so would have been their inclination to go back to Egypt when facing some adversity had they gone in the direct route where it would have been really easy to go back? Because it's human nature. You know, once you kind of, when you're, you're still close by, um, or it's very clear how you can just go back to the way you were, you're more likely to fall back into that. Whereas if you've made the effort and you've gone far, you've made changes, you created perhaps in the brain, uh, you created new uh, neural pathways. So it's not so easy to get back there. Like some of your colleagues talk about uh, addiction. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, you know, you can, you can do certain things that will, will make it harder for you to get to the chocolate. Let's see, you put it on the top shelf. <laughs> so it's a little harder to get to. You could get, you could get it. You can get a ladder and get it, but just breaking the, the pattern and making it a little harder can, can, can break the, the habit. So this is a very interesting idea here. That's coming uh, through in this in this verse, but you also see, you know, speaking of the psychological, you see how it's so easy to just go back to what's comfortable, even though what was comfortable was really painful, being in Egypt, but in a way that was comfortable for them, and when as as it says, if they're going to see some adversity, they say, oh, let's just go back to the way things were before, and instead of facing the challenges of the of the free world. So this is what God says, that if they if they see war, they're going to head right back to Egypt. Verse 18, so what does God do? Vayasev. You may be familiar with the word sivivon from the dreidel of 
Hanukkah. Svivon means it goes around. Vayasev, it's the same root. Vayasev, God made them make a circle by way of the desert to the Red Sea, or as Rashi translates. So the word for Red Sea is Yam Suf. The Yam Suf. And Suf, Rashi tells us, Suf means a marsh where reeds grow. Hence, the translation, really accurate translation, is Sea of Reeds. Somebody took out one of the E's and became the Red Sea. Vachamushim olubanisometsayim. This is a big word. The Jewish people, when they left Egypt, they were chamushim. What does chamushim mean? Well, you might think it has to do with the word chamesh, chamisha, which is five, or chumash, which is the five books of Moses. You would be right. It does have to do with five. But Rashi's first interpretation is that it has nothing to do with, well, I shouldn't say that. That the first interpretation is that it means that they went up from Egypt armed. Chamush means, in Rashi's first interpretation, that it means they were armed. Armed and dangerous. Now, why would the Torah be telling us here that they were armed? Rashi tells us that, you know, they had everything they needed. They were going on a long journey and they needed to have everything they would, they would need. And the reason Torah puts us in over here is because Later on, we're going to be reading about the wars that the Jewish people fought with Amalek, with Sichon, with Og, with Midian. And the Torah, the person reading the Torah is like, hey, how did they have weapons in the middle of the desert? The answer is they had it delivered by Amazon. No, the answer is the Torah gives you the answer here. Machamushim, the Jewish people, left Egypt with weaponry. That's Rashi's first interpretation, and that is the ter- interpretation of Unculus, the Aramaic translation of Targum. A second interpretation from the Medrash is that it has to do with five. Chamushim, a fifth. Only a fifth of the Jewish people left Egypt. Barbo Chalokim, four fifths, 80%. Stayed back in Egypt. They died during the three days of darkness, of the plague of darkness. As we learned in last week's Parsha, the reason for the plague of darkness was because God was planning to take out four-fifths of the Jewish people who, who didn't want to leave Egypt. And because of that, they died, and so the Egyptians wouldn't see them. Therefore, there was a plague of darkness, so they wouldn't see that they had died. They were being buried. It happens to be that the word for armed... Chamushim, if you interpret it as armed, also has to do with five. Has to do with the with the with the type of weapons. Um, has to do with five. Has to do with the the where how you wear your weapon. According to one interpretation, you wear the weapon across the fifth rib, something like that. So they both have to do with five. One means armed. One means four fifths. Uh, one fifth. Now the Torah tells us there's an important detail that when they left Egypt, they took. Joseph's bones with them. And who took the bones? Moshe. According to one of the commentators, why did they say the bones? Maybe the flesh had, had uh, decomposed. But anyway, it's an interesting question. Why do they say the bones of Joseph? Moshe is the one who takes the bones of Joseph with him. As the Medrash says, I think I mentioned that the Medrash says that you know, everybody's leaving Egypt. Everybody's busy with, with whatever they're doing. 
This is a big trip. So nobody's thinking about Moshe's bones. But Moshe is. So he takes the bones of Joseph with him. Why? Because Joseph had adjured the sons of Israel. When he says they're the sons of Israel, that means literally the sons of Jacob, who was, who was also Israel. So he adjured his brothers, saying, before he died, God is going to remember you, and, he's going to, and, and you shall take my bones with you. Take up my bones with you. Now Rashi is going to comment, the Hebrew here, Hebrew here for the word adjured is a double expression. Hashbeya hishbia. So an oath in Hebrew is shavua. So hashbeya hishbia, he made his brother swear, but it says it twice. Hashbeya hishbia. Why? It says Rashi, hashbeyom He made them swear that they would make their children swear. Right? Because he knew that his brothers wouldn't be alive at the time of the Exodus. And he couldn't he couldn't make his, their the grandchildren swear they weren't alive yet. So he makes his brothers swear that they will have their children swear. Then Rashi asks a question. One second. We find that Jacob, he asked Joseph to take him out of Egypt right away, not to leave him buried in Egypt at all. So why didn't Joseph do the same thing? Why didn't he ask his children, his sons, Menashe and Ephraim, to take him out, take him to Israel right away, the land of Canaan? Just as Jacob asked Joseph, says Rashi, Yosef was a viceroy of Egypt. He was a ruler in Egypt, and he had the power to do it. But his children, the Egyptians, would not allow them to take Joseph out of Egypt. Therefore, he makes them swear that when you'll be redeemed by God, you should take me out. Says Rashi, with you, he's saying with you to his brothers, but the brothers are not going out alive. They're not going to be alive at the time of the Exodus. That's, this is a hint to the fact that when your bones are taken out, my bones should be taken out as well. And this teaches us that the bones of all the tribes went out of Egypt with the Jewish people. Even though the verse only talks about Joseph's bones being taken, and those are taken by Moses, The verse also hints to the fact when it says, you shall take up my bones, itchem, with you. That's with you, with the brothers. He's talk, still talking to the brothers. With you. That your their bones were taken as well. By the way, so one commentator says, this is one of the ways the, the Egyptians knew that the Jews weren't coming back. They took... They took the bones of their of their ancestors with them. You don't take your bones of your ancestors for a three-day trip to Burning Man. Maybe you do. I've never been there. They traveled from Sukkot. And they encamped in Atham. At the edge of the desert. This is already the second day. On the first day they came from Ramses to Sukkot. God is going in front of them by day with a pillar of cloud to show them how to go. So basically it says that God is going in front of them, but really it's God's messenger, this cloud of glory, this cloud of, uh, of pillar of cloud to show them 
how to go. Make a right over here and then make a left and go straight and you'll ask over there at the gas station. And then at night, with a pillar of fire to give him light. So they can travel day and night. Verse 22, God would not remove away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire at night from before the people. So, Loyomish, Rashi tells us, doesn't mean that the pillar wouldn't move. It means that God would not move it away. It's a, some kind of a verb that acts on something else. What do you call that? An adverb? So God spoke to the Jew, to Moses, saying, I'll speak to the sons of Israel. Go back. Start heading back towards Egypt. This is strange. We'll see why. And what should you do? You should encamp in front of Pihachirot, which Rashi tells us is the same as Pitom, one of the cities built by the Israelites, between a place called Migdol and, and the sea. In front of Balzaphon, the idol Balzaphon, opposite it by the sea. Rashi comments, start moving backwards towards Egypt. Why? Why move closer to the Egyptians? This was actually a chess move. Eric appreciates that as a chess master. This was a chess move. In order to mislead Pharaoh, that he would say, they're astray on the road. They don't know where they're going. They're going backwards. So this was a, a move to get to schlep. It was bait. It was bait to get Pharaoh out. And we'll see what happens. So this same place, Pitom, which was the... the symbol of the enslavement because this was, was the cities that the Jewish people were forced to build as slaves. Now it's called Pihachirot, the mouth of freedom, the place of freedom of where they left. That's the place where they became free men. So it's an interesting transformation from Pitom to Pihachirot. They're two high upright rocks. Because there's a valley between them, it's called the mouth of the rocks. Now here's a ver another very interesting thing, is that God is telling them to set up shop right in front of an idol. Secondly, another interesting thing, is that this idol is still existing. We had learned that God takes um, care of the idols or deities of, of the enemy, destroys them. Says Rashi, this Balzaphon was left. It's another chess move. To fool them. So that they would be able to say their deity is powerful. Oh, you see? He survived. In other words, it still provides them free choice to say, ah, maybe we could still win the Jews. Look, our idol is still standing. Last idol standing. And this is what Job said. He said, 
Maski lagoyim v'avdim. God misleads nations and destroys them. In other words, God always provides us with free choice. And so when a person is, is not fully committed to doing the right thing, even if everything is all the arrows are pointing in the direction of doing the right thing, but if there's one little tiny arrow, barely visible, pointing in the other direction, human nature is, if you're really, really stuck on going in that direction, you're going to listen to that little arrow. And this is what's happening here. Verse 3, So Paro says to the, about the Jewish people, don't be fooled by this livne. That doesn't mean he said to the Jewish people. It means he said about the Jewish people, as you often have in the Torah, that the Lamed means about. Paro says to the Jewish people, about the Jewish people, Nevuchim heim They are trapped in the land. Now, Novuch, you have that, Nevuchim, um, is a book by the Rambam called More Nevuchim, Guide to the Perplexed. So you could say that the Jews are complexed in the land, but Rashi says it very clearly that they are trapped in the land. So the desert has closed in upon them. They do not know how to get out of it and where to go, Rashi says. Verse 4, now, now God says further, I'm going to strengthen Paro's heart and he's going to run after them. And I will be made glorified. I'll be glorified through Paro and his army. And Mitzrayim, Egypt, will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They did so. Who did so? The Jews. The Jews did what God told Moshe that they should do, which is to head back towards Egypt. A, a very counterintuitive, but very wise and sly move. Rashi tells us, this tells us the praise of the Jewish people, that they listened to the voice of Moses, to what Moses had told them, and they didn't say, hey, Moses, that's crazy. Why should we be going back towards the people who are chasing us? We should be running in the opposite direction. But what did they actually say? Ein lonu we have no other plan to follow, only the words of the son of Amram. Now, doesn't that sound wonderful? The honeymoon will soon be over, and the Jews will have other things to say to Moses. But at least for this moment, you see the beauty of the Jewish people and their faith in Moshe, that he said, go back towards the Egyptians. And they said, if that's what you say, we're on board. It's, it was told to the king of Egypt. Who told them? And what did he tell them? They were told, the king was told, that that the nation had run away. Who told them? Rashi says, says that Paro sent officers or supervisors with the Jewish people. Because officially they said they're only going for three days. But once they went for three days and they weren't turning back, these supervisors came and told Pharaoh on the fourth day, they came and said, and then the fifth and sixth day, Pharaoh was running after them. So it was the night of the seventh from when they had left Egypt. That is when they went into the sea. 
And it was in the morning, the seventh day, that they said the Shira, the song, Az Yashir Moshe, the song praising God for the splitting of the sea and the destruction of Egypt. And that is the seventh day of Pesach. And that's why, says Rashi, on the seventh day of Pesach, what is the Torah reading for that day? It is the reading of the story of the crossing of the sea. As Rashi puts it, we read the song at the sea on the seventh day of Pesach. So Paro hears that the nation has run away. They're gone. They're not coming back. So now Paro has a change of heart. And his servants also have a change of heart. And they say, what have we done? We sent out the Jewish people from serving us. We used to have these awesome slaves. We just let them go, just like that. They, they forgot real fast about that last plague there. <laughs> exactly. Says Rashi, how do you know that they had a, he had a change of heart? Because last just last week, we read in the Parsha that Paro says to the Jewish people, get up and get out from among my nation. He doesn't say, go on your little trip that you were planning. He says, get out. Which, as Rashi, Rashi understands it, Paro understood that it wasn't just going to be a three-day. And he's really sending them out for good. But his mind has changed. And he's like, no, I want him back. And his servants also changed their mind. How do we know that? Because they had said to him, when after Moshe had predicted the eighth plague of locust, they said to Paro, hey Paro, you know, this is ridiculous. We should really let these people go, let them out. So they had initially advised Paro to get rid of the Jews, let the Jews out. And now they changed their mind. They want to run after the Jews. Now you would think the reason is because they lost their slaves. But Rashi says something different. I mean, because that's what it says in the verse. From serving us. But Rashi says the reason that the servants of Paro changed their minds and wanted to chase the Jews was because of the money that they had lent them. Verse 6. So Paro harnesses his own chariot. As Rashi says, he did it himself. As we know, people get excited about things for good or bad. Yeah, they harness their animals. Yes. <laughs> They'll do something that normally they'd outsource to someone getting minimum wage. And took his people with him. Rashi always, whenever it says taking a person, it doesn't mean to grab him by the lapel or the arm, but rather to convince them with words. So here where it says that Paro took his people, he didn't grab them. Rather, he spoke to them in a way that took them. What did he say to them? He said, first of all, he said, Lakinu, we have been plagued because of these people. They took our money. And then we sent them away. We already suffered. They got our money. And now we don't have them. Come with me. And further, 
I am going to lead you in a way that other kings do not. The way of other kings is that their servants go ahead to the front lines and get shot while the king is sitting nicely and comfortably in cutter or in a nice in the in the war room in a nice basement deep in the ground bani aktim lefnechem i'm going to go ahead of you as it says upari hikri the paro himself came close to the Jew- he approached the jewish people so he went ahead of his own armies this is a very motivated man secondly he said the way of other kings is to take the plunder first take a first stab at the plunder and then whatever he doesn't want you could have no i'm going to do the opposite i'm going to be equal with everybody as we read in the song at the sea that the jewish people sang they said that paro had said let's go get the jews and i will shear the plunder so he takes 600 select chariots the best of the best the Bentleys of Egyptian chariots and all the chariots of Egypt so 600 of the best and all the rest with officers over them all so shalish means an officer interesting shalish relates to the word shalosha shalosh three but it means an officer. Verse 8. This is the last verse of today's Parsha. God strengthens the heart of Paro. Now you may have a question. You should have a question. What would be the question that you would have here? Why is God strengthening the heart of Paro? Are you ready? Just, we just read how Paro is so motivated to go get the Jews. Why would God need to strengthen his heart? We'll have to wait till Rashi to find the answer. Let's first finish the verse. And God strengthens the heart of Paro, the king of Egypt. And he runs after, he pursues the sons of Israel. And the sons of Israel were marching out by Yad Ramah. Yad Ramah literally is with an upstretched hand. But as they translate it correctly, marching out triumphantly. In the words of Rashi, Biyadrama Gvura Gvoyamofosemis, a high hand with lofty and openly displayed might. Now to our question. Why does God have to harden the heart of power, uh, strengthen the heart of power? With all of his pomp and circumstance and all of his all of his speeches, in his mind he was going back and forth. He was vacillating. He wasn't sure. Should I really pursue these Jews? Or not. So God gives him the extra little push to go for it. Chazak is liboy leerdoif. Interesting. So when we were learning the other parshas, we noted that there's two verbs that are used to describe the hardening of Paro's heart. One is hardening, this liboy, from the word heavy. God made his heart heavy or, 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 um, um, stubborn and then we also have this word to strengthen right to strengthen his heart so here you get a little hint that to strengthen his heart means that when he's vacillating between one thing and the next it gives him the the strength 
to go with his original evil design. Anyway, that is the Parsha for today. We'll stop this share and open it up to Q and C. Based, uh, based on the last comment, uh, Rabbi, uh, didn't he harden the heart twice? I mean, initially, he, he hardened the heart when he said he had the, had the Pharaoh turn around and say, why did we do this? I mean, why did we, why did we let them go? You know, they took our money and all this kind of stuff. And then he hardened it a second time? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, it, it's a good point. Um, I think that what it could be, yes, is that, you know, first to, to get him going. And then when, it, you know, sometimes you get all excited about something and you talk a big talk. But when it comes down to it and you're about to do it, eh, you get cold feet. So this was in the cold feet phase that God steps in and keeps it going I, I think also it's possible that uh, he has a second thought because you know with all these troubles that he have all this you know plagues you will really bring him back but you know but he was so you know you know against you no know, against jewish people that he wants to go back just to punish them but at the same time he had some hesitation because he knew he he can bring maybe more plagues to himself you know and stuff so maybe it's not worth it you know so just being cruel is one thing, but you know he was, you know, thinking about himself and his own, you know, well-being and his people. This is a dangerous thing to bring him back. This is those dangerous people. Good point. Excellent point. I think that's a good point because he was yes, he he had suffered so much. You think that he'd be very reluctant. So God overruled this. He thinks maybe that God overruled this hardened his heart so much. He couldn't even think like that anymore. He just had to make him go after them. He hates them, but at the same time, he was afraid to bring them back. Kind of thing. Well, I think God was forcing him to do this so that God could take them out, which he did, right? <laughs> and he got rid of all of them, including Pharaoh. Eric, what would you say is the official chess term for for baiting the opponent? Um, I guess in chess, the term that I would use is gambit. Gambit. Yeah. Got it. So you maybe put out a piece and as bait and as bait, uh, yes. And the, right. So you got you got the pulls out the queen and then you trap it. Yeah. Or or um, yeah, some something like that. Like yeah, you know you. You, uh, you you give your opponent a, a little something right. uh, to lull them into a of security. <laughs> there you go. It doesn't call it sacrifice in, in, in this Well, church. okay. So in the opening, we would call it a gambit, but later on in the game, you're right. We would call it a sacrifice, yes. Yeah, that's what we call the bridesmaids, yes, you know. <laughs> I mean, didn't, didn't God really kind of made him do this? I mean, he literally he made him do this. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a general question that we have had, you know, in the last Parsha, this, you know, but with the plagues, they also have the hardening of heart of, of, Paro, of Paro, that Paro, God hardened his heart. So there's two ways to look at it. One is that, yes, God at some point removes his free choice. In other words, that's part of his punishment, as we talked about. You know, a person can, you know, 
get drunk where he no longer has free choice, but he had the free choice when he took that drink that he shouldn't have had. And in a similar vein, if a person is so wicked as Paro was, yes, eventually they do lose their free choice. The other way of looking at it is that, in fact, every time God hardens his heart, it's really giving him free choice. Because everything is militating against him doing, continuing in his foolish ways, he really doesn't have free choice to do the wrong thing anymore. So God hardens his heart. That is not necessarily removing his free choice, but actually giving him back his free choice. Now he can make the choice, even in the face of everything that he's experienced. The second interpretation is always the one I've latched onto. Right. I mean, his his. If you literally, he strengthened his heart. He strengthened his heart. That means that his his heart was weak. Why was his heart weak? Not because he repented, but because he got plagued. So God strengthens his heart that despite all these plagues, he still has a strong heart. What does he do with a strong heart? The wrong thing. So uh, something that came up over Shabbos was... Um, you know, how come Paro didn't get taken out in the in the last plague since he was a firstborn? Well, God saved him. He had yeah. pr- protectia. Bavur zois hemaditicha. It's in Shavi, it's in the seventh reading. And God Dafka deliberately saves Paro because there's still more more of a show to be made of him. Right, right. Interesting. You would think that you know he would try to get even with the Jews, you know, if it's uh, because that uh, probably he did something like that, but just uh, Torah just probably doesn't mention that. But I would assume he did so because if somebody is suffering, you know, and they, uh, you know, because of them. You would see it, especially being cruel man like he was, he would try to get even somehow. That's a good point. And um, we do see how he reacts when the, when Moshe first comes to them. What does he do? He punishes the Jews and makes them work harder. Yes, one time, yes, correct. But after that, you know, he, you know. Could it be that possibly that he didn't want to kill the Jews because he wanted them as his slaves? But you can, I can see what you're saying, you know, kill some of them to, yeah, as, a, as a revenge. Right, right. Maybe he was a little bit afraid of, of Moshe. That's probably true. He wouldn't let them go, but he did realize that, you know, he was playing with fire.
Yeah, he knew he knew that there's something going on over here. You better stay away from this thing, you know. Just like he was harboring the rat, Hashem almost again to okay? Right. Well, gentlemen, this has been a wonderful start to a beautiful Parsha. We'll look forward to continuing the story tomorrow. Same time, same place, same Parsha.